Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. And hello once again, everybody. Welcome to another wonderful episode of THN On The Queue, where we bring you all the news, notes, and wild speculation from all around the queue over the last seven days. You know me, I'm Will McLaren. You know that guy, he's Jamie Tozer, but you might not know the guy on the bottom of your screen. And if you're not, and if you're not watching this, then you might not know the third voice that's about to come into the picture. This is... Um, a guy who probably needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. He is a legend in uh, Nova Scotia broadcasting circles with Eastland TV <laughs> and their Friday night hockey uh, broadcast. And before that, he was one of the uh, best young prospects of the mid-90s in, uh, the, uh, in within a couple block radius of uh, Cole Harbor Place. Um, he's seen it all, he's done it all, and he can attest that the hot dogs in Rouen Miranda are the best in the league. Logan Delaney, thank you for joining us on THN on the queue. Well, that was the nicest intro anyone's ever said about me, albeit it's false, but that's I'm, I'm quite <laughs> flattered. And, uh, thanks for having me, guys. This is going to be a lot of fun. No, it's going to be great, and uh, thank you for taking the time, Logan, to uh, join us. So all three of us are brought coming uh, to you from within about a, I'm going to say 15 minute radius. Um, we promise not to make this as Halifax centric as last week. However, it's going to be pretty hard not to mention them. If only because they are one of the top three teams in the league. And quite frankly, the top three teams in the league look like they are virtually unbeatable. And that's only because they have been, over the last week two, in the case of Halifax, um, the, the better part of 2023. Three teams have combined for points in 30 straight games. Halifax is on a 19-game heater right now. They're 17-0-2 over that stretch. Quebec has points in eight straight at 6-0-1-1, and Sherbrooke has won their last three games. So I guess my question for both of you, and we'll start with Logan on this one, um, it's not uncommon to have, obviously, the top teams rise to the top, especially post-trade deadline once everybody has their uh, their roster moves uh, in place. But it's not very often we see three teams go on substantial, or in the case of Sherbrooke, tidy little runs, like what we're seeing. And, of course, Halifax and Quebec have had to go through each other over the course of this streak and have kept their streaks intact. From what you've seen of these three teams, what do you think will separate um, the eventual playoff champion, if it's one of these three th- three teams, and for that matter, if you think it's uh, Gatineau or Victor or somebody else, throw in your two cents there. Well, you know, junior hockey is one of the things that makes junior hockey so great. Is honestly, on any given night, anybody can beat anybody, right? You have a bad game, and that's it. I'm a firm believer the best team never wins. The team that's playing the best does, and and that's what it's going to come down to going down the stretch. Now, I'll say this. I think a lot of these teams where they load up and they're loading up halfway through the year, you know, it affects team dynamic a bit. And and what we're seeing a lot now in, in major junior hockey is sometimes egos get in the way. And, you know, these teams, I mean, they've loaded up. 
I mean, there's a lot of firepower up front on, on a few of these teams in the league. And I sit there and I wonder, I'm like, I look at a guy, you know, that was in the spotlight, you know, getting double shifted, playing two minutes straight in a power play in the first half of the year. Well, all of a sudden after the trade deadline, it's not like that anymore. Is he going to be able to deal with that, you know, moving forward down the playoffs? Right. And, and, and that's a big component. Um, you know, I think the teams are going to be successful, the ones that figure it out. And the other thing too, I think the team that's going to really win it this year is a team that's going to utilize its depth. Um, you know, some of these teams, we're only seeing them ride the top six guys, the top three or four D. And I'm telling you, come playoffs, it's a grind, man, especially you're going six, seven game series. If you're not utilizing your depth, it will kill you come the third round. And, you know, uh, not to ramble, but one thing I, when I was watching Quebec play here in Halifax uh, a couple weeks ago, that was a big game, you know, one versus two and all that jazz. Quebec really utilized their depth. Halifax, not so much. So, I mean, that could be a precursor of things to come. Yeah, definitely. And it's a situation, too, in Quebec where um, – and they're not alone in this uh, from this standpoint, but, you know, one of the bigger names amongst the contending teams that is not in the lineup right now is Evan Noss. Obviously, he's been in that lineup. He's been injured twice this year. He wasn't in playing in that game in Halifax, but despite that – you're right, um, Logan. All three of us were actually at that game. You did see um, uh, Patrick Waugh, who we'll be talking about a little bit more in a few moments, um, use his depth to his advantage. So when a guy like Nas comes back, you know, you know, it, it only improves that dynamic. You would like to think. So Jamie, from your standpoint, um, you know, you know, you talk about the depth. You talk about you know who's going to be the hottest team going in. Um, Obviously, the guy behind the bench can play as big of a uh, factor as well. Uh, what do you see uh, coming out of these top five uh, down the stretch and uh, into the playoffs? Yeah, I definitely agree on the depth part. And that's what you know kind of makes Quebec such a dangerous team. Um, and one of the more interesting teams, too, because, you know, there's no there's no Bedard, there's no Stankoven, there's no Dume on Quebec. There's just kind of, they've got, you know, some star power, but not, you know, that a plus star power that a lot of other teams have, but they're just so deep. Um, and we've seen that from Quebec teams in the past. And obviously that's what Patrick Waugh really seems to, to like and focus on. And I think that that sets them up well um, for success heading in the playoffs. And I think the big question for them and for Waugh, like we're going to talk about later um, is can they kind of get over that hump? And I do wonder a little bit if they do have enough firepower to kind of get past the third round, but um, they're just so deep. Um, Halifax, you know, Halifax, I, I almost want to worry a little bit. Logan, I'm curious what you think about this is, are they almost peaking a little bit too early? They're playing, you know, unbelievable right now. Um, but we've seen some really good teams in recent years go on these streaks after the trade deadline, um, and then kind of struggle going into the playoffs and then kind of struggle in the first two rounds as well. So what do you, do you think that the Mooseheads might be, uh, peaking a little bit too early? Do we have 10 minutes for this? Cause I could go on for a while. About this. <laughs> You know, you know what? I, I'm going to be very honest, and and uh, you know, working with the Mooseheads and, and calling their games and stuff. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm the first one to throw them under the bus, and I'll say this: their record in this this uh, 19 games consecutive point streak. Firstly, it is incredible to me how the team in 2013 did not have a streak this long. I I, I can't believe mm -hmm. that this team is doing that. And that team in 2013 never did is they only lost six games that year. However, that being that I believe 
the Halifax is not even playing their best hockey right now. And they haven't lately at all. And, you know, you look at the roster, I mean, on paper, I mean, you really look at it and it's like, wow, like this is a really damn good hockey team. I mean, they went out, you know what, junior hockey, it's not rocket science. If you want to be good in junior hockey, you need two things to start with. You need good Euros and you need good 20s. Halifax only started the season with two 20s, which is crazy to me, but look at what they did. They went out and got Lawrence and Doucette, arguably the two best in the league. I mean, that right there puts you to another level. And besides those two guys, they were pretty good to begin with. And a lot of these players, I don't think we might even be giving them enough credit, um, which I know that sounds a little crazy, but, you know, bear with me. We, we kind of don't. And I, now, you know, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day, really knowledgeable hockey guy. I respect his opinion a lot. And he's actually laughed. He said to me, he goes, you know what? I, I think it's time we start realizing like, wow, this is a really good team. Um, but to say, I, I don't think they've been playing their best hockey. I think right now Halifax has a real big problem of playing down to another team's level. Um, I've seen them elevate their game against the best and I've seen them really, really play down and, you know, they're going to have to figure that out because this side conference isn't as strong as the other side, right? So, you know, come playoffs, hey, Moncton's a very well-coached team. They play hard, they compete, you know, very well-structured. Halifax doesn't play their best and runs into them first round. Who knows what could happen in six or seven games, right? And right. I, Will, I'll just add one more thing. I think that conference set up such an important note because you look at Halifax's remaining schedule compared to Quebec's and Sherbrooke's, and it's quite a bit easier um, so mm-hmm. I do wonder, you know, just how battle tested are they going to be heading into some of the big, big, big teams uh, that they might face in the second or third round? It's a curse and a blessing, really. Yeah. I mean, the fact that uh, they're, they're kind of getting the best of both worlds. They, they get to focus on the Maritime Division, which, let's be honest with you, it's, it's the weakest division um, in the, amongst the, uh, the four, really. Um, they, they can beat any of the other five teams any given night, and really they should. Now, Moncton will give them a hard test. They're a hardworking team, but the other three, uh, th- those should be winnable games, and with no disrespect to the two, Charlottetown, Bathurst, uh, or um, St. John, or Cape Breton. So they're going to use in fairness, Charlottetown spent a lot of time beating up on other people the past two years. So you know. exactly, and there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a hefty bill to pay there. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, so they're going to have the benefit of staying within their own division, but also use that to their advantage. That you know, with Quebec and that tougher schedule, they could still eclipse them for the conference lead, mm-hmm. and just make that road all the all the more easier for them come playoff time. Um, you know, it, sitting here right now, we we probably don't expect um, the uh, Mooses to have a really tough, challenging opponent, possibly until round three. Uh, you know, obviously, assuming they get that far. So, um, you know, it's it. See how they both react to uh, what comes uh, forward or what comes their way here in the coming weeks and the next few months. Moving on from there. Um, you know, we talked about the guys who are in the queue. Let's talk about the guys who are in the show, or at least who made their debuts in the show. And this is one of the few times, maybe the only time, guys, that I can ever remember, with the exception of the beginning of the regular season any given year, that three players 
from the queue have made their NHL debut within a week of each other. Now tonight, and we're going to talk a little bit less about this only because it's happening right now. We're recording on a Monday night, by the way, for everybody's information. And uh, that is Samuel Bolduc, um, who is making his debut uh, with the New York Islanders tonight. Um, Bolduc played four seasons in the queue with Laneville and Sherbrooke, a couple trips to the, uh, or one trip, I should say, to the President Cup final with the Armada back in 2018. But let's talk about the guys who've already gotten their debut fully out of the way. William Dufour, Jacob Pelche. Dufour debuted with the Islanders on Wednesday, pointless. He was a minus two. He had a giveaway in there, and and he's since been reassigned to Bridgeport, where, I, where ironically he scored the overtime winner in his first game back. Then there's Jacob Peltier, who has, whose debut has certainly gotten the lion's share of the headlines between those two players, and for some rather dubious reasons. Um, so I'm going to leave it at that. Jamie, let's start off. You're the Sea Dogs guy, so to speak, not to pigeonhole you too much, but your thoughts on Dufour's call-up, um, it was a bit of a rocky start. Yeah. Uh, thoughts on potentially getting back in the lineup there, and obviously, uh, let, let's hear your thoughts on uh, Pelche as well. Yeah, it wasn't uh, a night to remember for Dufour. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it got got off to an okay start, but you know that the, the the turnovers seemed to really uh, push him into a, an awkward position and ultimately benched. Um, I know there was some talk before the game that the call up was more around. Uh, they wanted to put this young guy on the top line to kind of send a message to some of the current Islanders uh, to say, you need to step up your game or else we're going to call up this guy from the AHL to take your spot. Um, and obviously they didn't stick to that for much of the game. Um, I think it's probably good for Dufour. If you want to look at a positive, you know, the big knock on him is always going to be his foot speed. Um, and this is obviously a great experience because now he knows where he needs to be speed wise. Um, so I think, uh, I expect him to probably continue to have a, a good season in the AHL. Maybe we'll see him up again here and there. Uh, but certainly uh, I hope for him that uh, his next appearance uh, goes a little bit smoother. Um, and yeah, this, this Belche thing, really odd comments from Daryl Sutter. I, I, I don't even know what to make of them. I, I kind of wonder if it's just uh, a bit of a message that was maybe a, uh, uh, <laughs> misinterpreted by the media or not and this is Sutter being Sutter but I don't know it was, was an unusual message for sure I think it was uh, most other coaches in the league they well I'd say it, it would it would leave more open for interpretation but I don't necessarily think they would uh, they would go that route um, personally as somebody who um, believes that you know and it's true you only get one first NHL game was it really the time was it really the place um took a little bit away uh for sure uh Logan what are your thoughts well firstly uh, the Sutter thing I I think it was a joke gone bad I think you know he tries to play at the media a little bit it's kind of his dry humor I think it's what he tried to do and it just you know obviously it's a bit of a flop right I mean look let's be honest he knows who Jacob Pelche is I mean, he's an NHL coach how do you not right um you know so sometimes you look at it and it's not the end of the world I mean let's be honest when Claude Giroux got drafted you know Bobby Clark <laughs> forgot his name right and I think yeah. he turned out all right so um you know as for do for I mean yeah tough scene you're, you're walking in against Boston too I mean Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. they're a wagon right now. You know, but you know, hey, it's the NHL, man. 
You know what I mean? Like these kids are young. I mean, you're, you're walking the best league, the world, the best players. Right. So, you know what, these guys will get their turn. They'll get their crack. And as they play more games, get more comfortable, they'll get their shot. And you know what? Good on the Islanders though. Um, you mentioned Bull Duke getting caught called up tonight too. I mean, good on them. You know what I mean? Give their young prospects a sniff here and there. I think it's good for development. So Dufour is a good player and you know what, he's going to have a good pro career wherever that may be. I actually coached against him in Bantam at the Monctonian. And him and his team absolutely embarrassed us for nine goals. It was like, it was like we were, well, Bantam. So they're what, 13, 14? Honestly, it was like mm-hmm. playing against 18 year olds. And I remember him. He was, just, it was ridiculous. Wow. It was, we, we, we were good and we had no business being in the same rank as them. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. no surprise he's turned into the player that he is after what I saw many years ago from him. Yeah, definitely. And brought it uh, during the Memorial Cup as well, of course, back in June. Uh, four goal performance against Schwinnigan in the round robin. Really, you know, seven goals in the tournament. Easy choice for MVP. Uh, he he was he obviously looked like a pro player uh, all throughout that last season in junior. And you know what? I'll echo your thoughts, uh, Logan. You know, this is an Islanders team that's you know on the cusp of a, of a playoff spot. Um, they could they could address that in a lot of ways if if they felt they had the need to. Um, change the momentum in in some way and to bring up these kids that's um i mean i applaud it it's it, it's something different it's it as jamie mentioned it sends a message and i think it does send the right message um you know it, it if if that's what it takes to get your regulars to maybe um uh, wake up a little bit more or to uh, uh show a little bit more commitment you know however you want to say it you know what there, there are far worse ways that you could approach it. Hey, you could you could sit before the media and ask uh, the guy who just played this, uh, about the uh, guy who just played his first NHL game what number he wears, for example. You know that's uh, you know that's always another option that you can take, and uh, the Islanders uh, <laughs> like to go the other way. <laughs> Sutter's really entertaining, though. I, I, I enjoy his dry wit. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, again, with all this stuff, you know, players get called up or sent down. I mean, the thing is, we only see what we see and know what we know, right? We don't know what goes mm-hmm. on behind closed doors. I mean, that Islanders room, you know what? They could have a bunch of players that are just not getting along with anybody or not getting along with the coaches, being rude, being ignorant. Who knows, right? Like, we don't, you know. So, I mean, these teams, they operate with intent, you know, and knowledge and there's a method to their madness, right? I mean, and, and now too, in sour cap era, like there's such a business to everything now too. I mean, you know, they're looking at it going, okay, what's our situation for next year? Like, do we got to move money out? Do we got to, can we bring money in? You know, and, and I always you know, believe too right now, like everyone loves a good cheap player, you know, and, and guys mm-hmm. on entry level deals, like, Hey, if we can get a guy for less than a million bucks on a cap hit and he could play, Get him up here. You know what I mean? That, so that, that cap's not going up. Yeah. Uh, fast so, I mean, anybody, you get these like, young guys, it's like, hey, bring them up. Let's give them a skate for a game or two or three. And if they can do it, geez, we'll roster them next year. Cause I mean, it's cheaper than paying a guy three and a half million. You know, mm-hmm. so that's, that's just a big part of it, too. Like, you look at these, these kids, I mean, they're getting, you know, more of a shot now than ever because they're cheap because they're on entry level deals. Mm-hmm. Right. So, there's a lot of that to play too. And, you know, you want to show your American league team too, a little faith from the big club, right? Guys in the American league that are under two way deals. They want to know like, Hey, 
oh yeah, like there's due for getting called up. Well, maybe I'll be next. You know what I mean? Like you right. got to keep that, that fire going. I mean, there's nothing worse than seeing guys in two-way deals get buried in the minors and never, ever get a chance, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think the Islanders, you know, what they're doing, I mean, hey, if you're good enough, you can afford to have a young guy in the lineup for a game, really. Exactly, exactly. And if you have, you know, if you're the uh, general manager, if you have enough faith in your coach, uh, then you have enough faith in him to manage the bench and manage the game, no matter who's in the lineup within reason. And, you know, that, that it's definitely a credit to the Islanders. So speaking of coaches, we talked about our old uh, buddy Daryl for a little while. Um, let's talk about a couple of other coaches, uh, a couple of guys in the queue, actually. And let's talk about them for um, uh, some pretty, pretty different reasons. Um, we're going to start off in St. John. Um, Travis Crickard, of course, is uh, the head coach uh, down there, taking over from Gardner McDougall and his illustrious, um, what was it, six-game career with the Sea Dogs. Hey, got a national title out of it, though. Hey, can't can't complain. But uh, Travis, you know, he uh, took a, takes a little bit of a different approach. I think it's safe to say than Gardner, and uh, probably not none better uh, illustrated than what happened last week. And I'll just read this for, verbatim. Jamie, you brought this to my attention. I'm surprised it didn't get a little more attention in the general hockey world. Mm-hmm. Um, so wondering where Sea Dogs coach Travis Crickard was for the first period of Wednesday's 4-1 loss to Shawinigan. He was sitting a self-imposed one-period penalty for a late decision in an 8-3 victory over Ramuski the previous Saturday. In that game, Crickard called a timeout with 3:15 remaining and the Dogs up by seven goals to work on a face-off play that needed some specific live game practice that needed some specific live game practice. However, Rimouski coach Serge Beausoleil objected strongly to the move, roaring across the ice at the Sea Dogs bench in a heated manner. Upon further reflection, Crickard said the reality of the situation was that he was working on a face-off play for a team with just 14 wins. But the perception may have been that he was being disrespectful to Rimouski with the move, and that he should have been quote-unquote, more humble in the specific situation. I have remained very committed that if anyone does not uphold their team values, they sit, he explained of his 20-minute absence. I did not, so I sat a period. I wasn't being humble. So before I go to you, Jamie, um, I'll I'll just give you uh, my – I'll come back to myself on this, but my initial reaction when I read this after you sent this uh, to me, Jamie, was – What? You really did that, eh? Um, and of course, you, it had to make its way. You made a guy. I'm really excited to to hear what you have to say. So, um, be honest, Tozer, you're up. Well, be as honest, was... be as honest as you can. Yes. Did this was... come from you? Did you? Is, are you the one that confirmed this story? No, no. This is full. Well, okay. full credit to Kevin Barrett from Post Media, by the way, for the story. Um, and I think that's. I'm why shocked this... that this hasn't made the rounds yet. Yep. I, to be mm-hmm. honest, sorry agreed, to interrupt. Agreed. Agreed. Really Shout out to Post Media's paywall. Uh, <laughs> um, there you go. I was watching this game live, and I was puzzled why Crickard took this timeout. Uh, obviously, it was 8-1. Um, and to do this, I actually thought that, okay, this has to be some sort of revenge tactic for something that happened in the playoffs between St. John and Ramuski last year. Um, so I just assumed it was something weird like that. Um, and of course, Crickard after the game was asked about it. And of course he said it was a face-off play, which we've, I feel like we've heard dozens of times, um, from Q coaches over the years who, who make a similar timeout play like this. Um, the self-imposed, uh, 
uh, timeout time was very bizarre. I've never, I've honestly never seen that at the junior level. Um, I guess I like the message it's sending and Crickard full credit to him. He has been a coach this season that has enforced rules like this. Um, there have been a few games where the Cedars have been dealt with some pretty heavy blows on the back end with injuries and the Cedars have healthy scratch defensemen, even though they're dealing with those injuries uh, for various reasons. So uh, Crickard is, is really set uh, and sticking to his guns and he's really setting uh, a culture for this team. Um, I guess I like it. It's definitely an, an odd move, but I, I like the message it sends. And I think it's probably a good thing for a young team that's going to be together for the next couple of years. Logan. Well, there's two parts to this and, and we'll start with the first one. Calling that timeout is absolutely egregious. Um, at any level, I mean, Serge Beausoleil's coached in that league a very long time. I'm not surprised he lost his mind. Anyone would. I mean, that just would send any coach in an absolute frenzy. Um, I get it. It's a coachable moment. I understand that. But you kind of have to look at your situation, your surroundings, and be like, okay, it is what it is. Calling a timeout was outrageous. Grab a whiteboard, scribble something up, be done with it, right? Um, game's out of hand at that point. So there's that part of it. The self-imposed sitting of himself, I, I, I don't know Travis. I'd never met him. I, I, I feel bad. Maybe uh, you know. Hopefully someday I could meet him and actually talk to him about this. He may I not understand. want to meet you, depending on what you're about. Yeah, to do. no, it's just <laughs> true. I, uh, I understand the message you're sending to your group, right? Like he obviously is is trying to to be a role model and lead by example and hold himself accountable to the same standards he's holding his players to. I get that. I respect that. Um. I don't think sitting yourself for a first period though accomplishes that. I think, you know what, if you go in the room afterwards after the game or next day of practice and say to your group, like, Hey, listen guys, you know what, what I did was shouldn't have done it. And here's why the players would have been like, okay, you know what I mean? And they get it and they understand. I think you would have achieved the same result. Um, you know, sitting yourself for a period. It's I've never seen or heard of anything like that before. Um, you know, that's definitely a move. I don't, I don't know if, it's been done and, and, you know, but I mean, for him, I mean, obviously he's, he's passionate about what he's doing and he, he's trying to do the right things with that group and, and send the right messages to the players, um, you know, and, and, and hopefully all this achieve that. I mean, I don't think it's the end of the world. Hopefully him and Serge Bosley had a conversation with each other too. I mean, Serge is a very well-respected guy around the league. Um, you know, one thing I'd be curious of is if those players in that moment, when that timeout was called, if the players recognize what was going on, you know, sometimes you wonder if, if these players to kind of, you know, pay attention to that. But mm -hmm. honestly, when I, I read about this earlier, I, I didn't know this happened. Um, I talked to some people I know around here that are involved with the league. And I said, do you guys know about that? And they didn't know either. And they were, they were equally quite as shocked. And that's why I mentioned, I'm surprised this actually hasn't gotten more traction around social media. Cause it's a, it's a pretty crazy story actually. Yeah. I, I've never heard of something like this. I no. mean, obviously we've heard of the timeout thing and uh, I guess my, my two cents on it is first of all, and I'm not saying this to glorify the way it was, you know, we're not sitting around the lemon tree. Oh, that'd be a line brawl. 15, 20 exactly. years ago. Be a I'm, line not, I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to sit here with an oh, onion yeah. tied to my belt, telling you about the way it was, but now yeah. we all know if this was 20 years ago. And I remember this exact same scenario, one in particular uh, actually playing out. Um, and it was, 
it was about 25 years ago and it was again it was the Moncton Wildcats and the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles Screaming Eagles were in their second year in Cape Breton they were a terrible team to be brutally honest and the Cats were up 8-1 and with about a minute or so to go Rael Paymont called a timeout and the head coach of the Cape Breton Eagle Screaming Eagles at the time was a guy by the name of Bruce Campbell and he just came out in the media after the game and said, the next time that team comes to Cape Breton, don't be surprised if a guy like, and just to give you some ideas there, their star players back then were guys like Sebastian Roger, Simon Liberté, and he named them. He's like, he basically all but put a bounty on the head of these two kids said, saying, you know what, don't be surprised if guys like Roger and Liberté leave, leave hurt. And, nothing was done about it like if can't that had happened can't see that <laughs> you can't it's yeah you, you can't do that anymore um yeah, no, yeah no. you would be yeah the, you would be probably on cnn if you did that nowadays uh but back then it was you know quite frankly for, for what the uh, um what the landscape of the league and what the landscape of hockey was back then people just sort of looked at each other and just sort of nodded their heads just like, i, I yeah, just yeah, that's thing... what would happen uh, the thing that shocked me with the timeout, like I said, it's got kind of like two different things here. Like I think with the timeout, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Crickard's a—he's an experienced coach. Like he's coached before. Like I just, I just look at him like you should know better. Yeah. You know, right. that's what kind of got me about that. It's like you just you know better. I mean, that's a—that's almost like a you know, like I said, in Bantam hockey, we would run in a situation like we would never do things like that in those situations. You know, like you just kind of. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this thing you just know. I I don't know. I, I yeah. It's it's pretty crazy. It's pretty wild. I I just you know and and sitting the, himself for the first. It's yeah. It's it's a crazy story, honestly. And uh, I didn't yeah. see it. I didn't see the tape of. I'd like to see the tape of it actually, just to witness the reaction of everybody yeah. at the rink. Yeah, and if you if there wasn't a line brawl after that, but if you go and look at the box score, you can tell that the game took a significant turn after that, and it got oh, pretty 100%, nasty, which you sure. can definitely understand. Yeah, um, but like like I, I I completely agree with you, Logan. Like that's why I kind of wonder if there's just something going on in a previous game or in that playoff series last year, and this is just some odd revenge this is tactic. A cover of some sort. Yeah, and yeah. I like you've seen that and like, you know, gamesmanship yeah. in that regard, you know, a little bit of hate on for the other guy. And yeah. and you know, I saw that in the Scotiabank Center just a couple of years back. Uh mm-hmm. not similar, but like it was, you know, team was up pretty high on the other one and first power play units going out there and you're kinda like, okay, yeah. really? You know, but it was a but yeah, I mean the timeout, man, that's aggressive. Like that's, you know, throwing out the first power play unit. That's one thing that's, you know, bad enough, but like mm-hmm. calling the time out, man, that's swinging for the fences. Like that's yeah. 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 And the other thing too, just to cap this off quickly. Um, yes. He, he, uh, you know, Travis gave himself the self uh, imposed timeout. Um, but the other thing that struck me about this and, you know, at the end of the day, the sea dogs are, probably doing a little bit better in the standings than anybody expected this year. You know, he mentioned the 14 wins thing. Well, if this was March and he had 14 wins, okay, I can get it. Well, it's still only January. And if anybody checked the standings lately, you know, they're, you know, this, this isn't a, obviously not a go for it year, but it's certain the team is probably a little bit more contentious than people would have expected. And this is a game against Shawinigan. This is for the Sea Dogs a, li- a bit more, a bit of a more winnable game. In which he took the uh, he uh, took the uh, period off. You know, he took the period off against Shawinigan. Um, 
if I'm Travis Crickard for that game, you know, and again, you know, not to, you know, you know, be that guy and, and make that kind of comment, but quite frankly, if this is a game against the Mooseheads, and of course they played them back to back over the weekend, uh, and I want to pull this maneuver, maybe I pull it then. Um, a game against Shawinigan, in which, you know, a couple points is not outside the realm of possibility. Do you really want to remove yourself from the bench in a game like this? I mean, this this team, you know, is still playing for pride. They're still playing for wins. Um, I don't know. There's something about the timing of that uh, element of things that uh, kind of struck me as a bit odd as well. Well, I almost question is, like, did the GM have something to do with it too, right? Because, I, mm-hmm. I mean, one, yeah. if I'm a coach and I say to my GM, hey, I'm going to sit myself for first period and here's why. I mean, I kind of feel like the GM would be like, no, <laughs> you're paid to do a job. You'll go out there and do that job, right? So part of I, I don't know. It's yeah. Jamie, you're the St. John guy. You got to get to the bottom of this. That's your task this week. You All gotta, right. you gotta do your thing, man. And right. Right. Circle Sounds back good. this. <laughs> it's gonna be on the missive next yeah. year, next week, Tozer. Like I, I yeah. look forward to a follow up. All right. All you right. got a job here, man. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, quickly, we're, we'll touch a little bit quickly uh, on this one. Uh, uh, Patrick Waugh, who I'd be curious to see what his reaction would have been. Serge Beausoleil was uh, one thing. Oh, uh, I, I think uh, I think Patty um, might have been a little more animated, yeah, just would've. going out on a limb there. Yeah. But uh, yes, and you know, um, uh, he's in uh, he's in the news for uh, a lot of different reasons. Fastest coach to 500 wins in QMJHL history. Only took him 815 games. He's the sixth coach to reach this milestone. And obviously, in his two stints with the Rampar, um, he has consistently had very strong teams uh, with which to guide. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day, not everybody can step behind the bench. He does so, and he's gotten the results. But my question to both of you, and uh, I'll start with Logan on this one, what do you think, when it's all said and done, will be his legacy to this league in general? Um, and as well, what do you think will be the tipping point that will uh, cause him to potentially move on again? Well, I think what will cause him to move on is retirement, honestly. Mm-hmm. And uh, second, and I'll get to that in a second. As for his legacy, I mean, look, listen, he's – arguably one of the most colorful personalities to come through junior hockey in the Quebec major junior league ever. His hockey playing career speaks for itself. I mean, that's mm-hmm. self-explanatory. And, you know, here's a guy who's a, is a hockey hall of famer and decides to go back to the junior hockey level and, you know, be a part owner of a team and run a team and manage a team and coach a team. And I think, you know, his legacy will live on. I mean, mm-hmm. it, he'll go down as one of the all time greats of the queue. I mean, it's just, you know, we can say what we want about him and his personality, but listen, like I, I know kids that have played for him and they, they rave about his coaching. I think, in my opinion, Patrick Waugh is a junior hockey coach. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, when he was in the NHL, a short stint there, Patrick was a the kind of guy, like he needs to be coach and GM, right? Like he, because he can build teams to what he wants to coach. And I think just a coach for him doesn't fit. Um, someone else that reminds me of that Jim Holt, same thing, coach GM, right. right? You can, Hey, I know the kind of player I want to coach. I know the kind of team I want to build. I can go do that because I play both roles. Right. We're Patrick was same thing. Um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, his, his antics are 
they're, they're entertaining. I mean, he still whistles for line changes, which I think is absolutely hilarious. These players like train dogs. As soon as they hear that whistle, boom, they're off the ice. I think it's incredible. Um, but you know what? I mean, yeah, you look at the, that win record. I mean, yeah, he's been able to build himself good teams, but so have a lot of other coaches in this league. I mean, that's he's cranking out a 750 win percentage. I mean, that's that's no joke, man. Like, that's mm-hmm. awesome. And he's coaching in a big market too, right? Comes a lot mm-hmm. of pressure with that and stigma and stuff. So, um, And you he's know, doing uh, it in an 18-team league as well. There's yeah. No, no competition here in Europe. I think for him, you know what? I mean, I, I listen, if he wanted to go pro, he could go pro any day. He could pick up a phone and be like, hey, he could get on a staff in any one of those teams in the league. No problem. You know, really, let's be honest. You think he couldn't get an assistant coaching job in the NHL tomorrow? Of course he could, right? But I think for him, mm-hmm. you know, he loves junior hockey. I mean, you, you look at, like, look at Mark Hunter in London. Like, same thing. They love junior hockey. That's what they wanted to do. And I, I think Patrick Waugh is is that kind of guy. So, Jamie, um, basically the same thing. Um, and I'll actually throw this in as well. I mean, uh, you, like the rest of us, you know, we've, we've watched Patrick Waugh behind the bench for years. Um, there's been a ton of success there. Won the Memorial Cup in his first year behind the bench. Had never coached really before. It's a, maybe his kids, like, you know, minor hockey teams or something like that. Um, for you, um, anything particular that stands out uh, about uh, the uh, coaching career of uh, Patrick Waugh? Oh, definitely. Definitely his personality and his character. And I think uh, his ability to, you know, really push the league too. I think, you know, not a lot of coaches, not a lot of GMs or presidents, you know, talk publicly and criticize the league much anymore. Uh, so I think his ability to kind of use the media um, to kind of make changes and improve the league overall is, is that's an is excellent point. Yeah. It's something mm-hmm. I yeah. don't see a lot that's of a anymore really and him leaving the league. If he does leave, that's, that's a big loss for everyone. Um, and I'm, I'm fascinated by this debate about how it's, it seems like this is his last season, even though there's, you know, no hard evidence to indicate that it is his last season. Um, but I really don't know like what's he, what he's going to do afterwards. Like I can't really see him, anywhere else honestly um the only really thing i that i can think of is maybe there is some role trying to get the nhl to quebec city that he wants to be involved in maybe that's an opportunity for him but uh um and one, one last thing i'll talk on quickly is, is his legacy to me in terms of wins is so interesting just because such a great regular season record quite a bit of playoff success but no league championships is just it's so fascinating to me yeah, definitely. And, you know, he'll be remembered for a lot of different reasons. And uh, the thing that I'll always think about with Patrick was is one, one quote that he mentioned uh, his first game back in Moncton after the 2006 Memorial Cup. They're going to boo me like crazy when I'm on the bench, and then they're going to ask for my autograph after the game. And if that doesn't sum up everything about Patrick Waugh, yeah. then I don't know what does. Uh, we're going to take a quick dive into the mailbag. Um, we got one here from David Williams via, via Twitter. Uh, it's short, it's sweet, and we're going to uh, go about it. It, it should uh, command a fairly short and sweet answer. And uh, Logan, I'm going to go to you on this one first because you have the coaching perspective. Simply put, how do coaches select which three players shoot in a shootout? Goal score, score, man. When it comes down to it, you can look at it and overanalyze it any which way you want and this and that, but at the end of the day, goal score, score, 
right? And and mm-hmm. I mean, and that's it. Listen, I've seen stuff. I've seen coaches have shootout competitions in practice. Like, hey, whoever the top three guys are, we'll use you for the next week and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I mean, I, I've, you know, I've also seen coaches that do, you know, the pre-scout reports and the uh, or pre-scouting reports and the opposing goalie. Oh, well, you know, he catches left, so let's get a right-hand shot. But at the end of the day, honestly, goal scorers score. And I think, you know, when it gets – the top three are easy to pick. It's after that. That's where it gets hard, in my opinion. Top three, that's easy. You always get your three best guys whatever. But after that is when it gets difficult. And uh, Jamie, same idea. Yeah, I definitely go with the, the top offensive guys right off the bat. And I actually, I actually love it when there's someone off the board comes over the boards to shoot. And, you know, there's clearly, clearly something they didn't practice or showed in the game that they think is going to lead to a goal. And uh, Vincent Dapont, for example, at the world juniors, the defenseman mm-hmm. shot for Switzerland, didn't play a second the entire game, uh, but shot in the shootout. Yep. Yeah, Monk right. and Wildcats had a guy like that about 15 years ago. His name was Ted Stevens. He was a decent offensive player, but he was guaranteed he was one of the top three guys over the boards, and he wasn't the first guy you'd think of for just that reason. And Let's actually, th- nope. this is going to be a good segue. And I, everyone watching at home, this will this will go into the whole NHL Team of the Week segment that I know you're excited to get to. Merrick Malik, do you remember his shootout goal, the New York Rangers yep. between the legs? He had like absolutely five goals back in his back, back when everybody yeah, back was, when everybody was excited about the shootout. Yeah, it was only right. a few weeks old. Back the shootout, he went back between, <laughs> yeah. and he was like the 13th shooter, something outrageous. Yep. And yeah, with between the legs for a guy who defenseman who never scores goals, and that's yeah, probably one of the most, in my mind, one of the most iconic shootout goals just because oh, yeah. of the circumstance but anyway salutes the crowd at msg and everything yeah. and uh speaking of msg thank you mr delaney we gotta have you back now uh because that will bring us to the nhl team of the week and that's the new york rangers uh there's one guy drafted in the queue right now who is rangers property he is uh rare in that he is one of the few russian players in the chl this year uh, Max Barbashev, a guy who basically committed full bore to um, staying in junior, uh, talked to his GM in Moncton, Richie Tebow. This guy um, basically went 18 months at one point without going home between COVID and everything else that's taken place. He's committed to being in Moncton. He's committed to being a solid pro- prospect for the Rangers. And uh, quite frankly, he is a difference maker in that uh, Wildcat lineup. Uh, Jamie, I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, and, you know, Barbashev, I thought he had a bit of an – I don't know if underwhelming is the right word first half, but I don't think it was really the first half the Wildcats had hoped from them. And uh, they're a team that's not, you know, hugely offensively gifted. So I think they kind of needed a lot more from him, but he's really turned it on on the past month or so. So I think he's, he's kind of found his groove and uh, that's great for the Wildcats because they definitely need uh, all the offense they can get from their top guys. Logan. Yeah. I know Barbashev when he came here, there was, there was a lot of hype around him for, you know, being an import pick and stuff like that. And I think he might be a, a guy that kind of got robbed from COVID a little bit, you know, first year over here, that season was basically thrown, thrown in the garbage can. Right. And I think it kind of might've, you know, affected things. Even last season, there was still a bit of a hangover effect from that. So I don't really know if he's found his legs yet. I know that sounds a little weird being his third year in the league, but really he's been in the league. Let's be honest, like a year and a half you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think, I think the seal, there's a higher ceiling than what we might think. Um, you know, he might be the kind of guy like play his years out in junior and uh, all of a sudden, you know, who go, who go out in the American league and 
hey, you know, the, the world says and things move on, right? I mean, you know, 19 mm-hmm. years old now, be a 20 next year. I'm assuming Moncton would keep him as a 20, I, I, I think. Maybe they don't. Yeah. I don't know. But um, I, I, I agree with you, Jamie. I think there's more there than what we're yeah. what we've seen so far. Yeah, and definitely a guy who plays a style that you would think would translate to a pro game. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll go to the dirty areas. He's yeah. a little bit physical. He's he he's not quite on the the same level. If we're being totally honest, as his brother Ivan, who also played in Moncton, of course, is now with St. Louis Blues. But you know, certainly a solid prospect in his own right. We'll just quickly mention as well the AHL guys um, who are with the Hartford Wolfpack, Ben Tardif. Uh, President Cup winner in Victoriaville and uh, the king of spicy pork, Louis Domingue, goaltender who has uh, spent uh, four years in Moncton and Quebec, respectively. And of course, the NHL. If you want to talk to Rangers in the queue, you want to go to the NHL and you go over that laundry list of guys who have uh, who span all sorts of eras in the in uh, the queue between Yarrow Halak, who was an old Lewis Maniac in peace uh goaltender <laughs> all the way up to of course number one overall pick alexi lafreniere who's grabbing a lot of headlines um for better or worse in uh, manhattan this year and of course the coaches gerard Blant, mike kelly and jim midgley and i know uh, logan you uh, you know midge uh, a fair amount yourself and uh, to see him get that opportunity i'm sure it must make you as happy as it makes all of us yeah i, I mean midge is let's see you I can assure you, like, you won't find anybody to ever speak a bad word about that man. Uh, you can mm-hmm. try. You won't. And uh, what an awesome story, man. I mean, that guy grinded it out. Like, he grinded it out for a long time coaching. I mean, he did it all. And, and Mitch, one thing I can say about him is he's not above anything, like, at all. Right. You know, he, he'll come out run a minor hockey practice, man. Like, he, he is not above anything. And, uh you know, he, he, the reason why he got to the NHL is because, because of that, you know, his reputation preceded him. Like I, I was told the story that when Gerard Gallant and Mike Kelly were looking for that other guy, they, they were, you know, throwing names around and the one name they kept coming back to was Mitch. And, uh, you know, it's because of his reputation, right? Cause he's a nice guy and just a dedicated yeah. hockey person too. And yeah, it's really awesome. I mean, he's kind of, you know, he's from Ontario, but he's, he lives in – well, did live in Coal Harbor for a long time. So he's kind of mm-hmm. like – he's like adopted Coal Harbor guy, you know? <laughs> right, right. But, yeah. yeah. And, and and I think, and I think too, I think Gerard and, and Mike Kelly both see a little bit of themselves in a guy like Midge anyway. Just oh, yeah. The, the way that he yeah. – they, they, the way that they all carry about their business, very, very similar. You probably not meet as – uh, a guy is as salt of the earth as a guy like Gerard Plant or Mike Kelly or Jim Midgley. So great to see them turning it around a little bit as of late in uh, in New York. And uh, hopefully we uh, see more of that uh, to come. And we're going to cap off things uh, as usual with our draft prospect of the week. Uh, went with somebody who actually spent a little time in the Maritimes this past week. Uh, that's uh, me Segnia Center. Andre Lashko, uh, he made the jump onto the list. He was not on the first uh, players to watch list by the NHL back in the fall. And for good reason, he's ranked 104th amongst North, North American skaters for the 2023 NHL draft. And he has been on a tear as of late. Jamie, tell me what you think about Andre Lashko. Yeah, definitely some pretty good numbers for uh, an 18 year old uh, known for really creative offensive instincts and uh, has a really good shot too, which uh, we're seeing in his offense production um, really turning it on of late, which is great. Uh, given that the drafts right around the corner uh, had eight goals and 11 assists just in the month of January. 
Um, not the biggest guy. I think he's around 170, but he's put on quite a bit of weight over the past year. Um, and I think he's probably going to be quite a contributor for uh, the Sags next season, assuming he comes back. Um, him being Belarusian, though, I'm sure that's probably going to impact his uh, his draft stock a little bit, just given the uncertainties there. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. And Logan, uh, your uh, thoughts quickly on uh, Lashko and uh, the way he's kind of turned things up uh, once the calendar turned to 2023. I mean, he's presented with a good opportunity and he's making the most of it. Shakutami, you know, they, no question they're they're in a rebuild mode. They've unloaded a lot of pieces last year and, and got rid of a couple more this year. And, you know, on paper, they're not the strongest team by far. And what's impressed me about him is he's taking that and running with it. He's getting more ice time, more special teams, but they're also playing against really good teams. Um, you know, a lot, right. They get, mm-hmm. they have a tougher schedule being on that conference and is uh, a guy just getting better and better every game take make the most of opportunities so I full marks to it yeah he he definitely uh, stands as good a chance as anybody to be uh, a strong part of some organization's future and speaking of the future Logan Delaney we want to see you back here at some point in the future as well this has been a pleasure um, you know you brought it just to, you know I you know we don't just invite anybody to this thing <laughs> this is, uh, only the cream of the crop make it to the yeah. THN on the queue mm-hmm. and we want to thank you for taking the time to be with us so no, th- thank you time. both for having me and listen I never met a microphone I didn't like so I'd be more than happy to take <laughs> you up on your offer and it's great to finally meet you Jamie I only know you from Twitter so it's nice to actually put a face to it but no it's a lot of fun guys thanks a lot for having me excellent and uh, Jamie of course thanks as well uh, for uh, showing up every week and uh, putting up with all that you do. That's great. And thanks again to Connor Somerville, who's uh, ripping his hair out behind the scenes and getting us to wrap this up by the 50-minute mark. So for all of these guys, I'm Will McLaren saying thank you for watching. We'll be back next week with more news from the queue.